1: it's like the health we have now is a result of the decisions we made in the past it's like a really practical human level and the the body and the planet that we'll have in a decade or two decades or three decades is going to be a consequence of our healthy lifestyle options now Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Peter, amazing to be here with you.
0: Yeah, and it's amazing to have you. Thank you so much. So like most of these podcasts, I do like to start with a little bit more of a background into the guest and like your why. So maybe start in just describing kind of a little bit about you, your background and why you do the work that you do today.
1: Oh, Talk talk about one of those wonderful open-ended questions for one's entire life. So I'm going to actually start way, way back, in part because people often hear my accent and that you usually get like, going. Oh, wait a second, where's that accent from? And so they're listening to the accent instead of everything else. So I was born in Australia and then did what any smart child does when your father, who's a PhD student, graduates and get his, gets his PhD he went where he could get work, which is a very smart idea for a man with a wife and two small daughters. And so at two and a half, we moved from Australia in the middle of summer to Canada in the middle of winter, which I think must have been a little bit of a, a, culture, a culture shot. So my dad was an agricultural economist, so I remember him talking all sorts of things, agriculture, and as a little kid in the garden, we'd get far more information about stuff than I think we probably wanted Whereas my mum was one of these women who, I should say is, because she's still around, who was just, she had this in Canada. You had, we had a down, uh, the downstairs part, which was sort of where the boiler room was, which would keep the you know the winter chill off. And next to that space was my idea of complete coziness: A, it was warm, and B, <laughs> it was where she had all her craft and making space. So she just she would make all sorts of amazing things. So that was my my favorite hidey hole as a kid. And when I was seven, we moved from Canada and went to Nigeria just after the Biafran War, which. I think, you know, as a kid, it meant absolutely nothing to me. But now, having read a bit more of that history, I kind of realize my parents were really stepping off a very known world into a world where we didn't know what they believed that by going to the International Institute of Tropical Agriculture, it takes practice to be able to say all those syllables in one go. <laughs> <laughs> IITA is what I used to say as a kid. I, don't, I think I must have been much more grown up before I tried to even ever say the entire thing. Was the institutes were being set up to create the green revolution because in the fifties and sixties, one of the things that was creating challenges in the world was was frankly was starvation and starving people. You know, would go go fight, and it was a big reason why wars had been fought. So. A group of organizations and countries decided they want to do something about that, and started investing in research to go. How can we produce better food, more food that's appropriate to these different parts of the world, so you know we don't have wars fought for hunger? So that got us to Nigeria just after the Biafran War, which was one of those horrible civil wars where you'd have we see kids on the street who would have those swollen bellies that would come from literally. Being malnourished, not having enough to eat—it was as a kid, it was sort of normal but different. And as an adult, I realized just really how horrible it must have been for people living there to have food so so short. And then we got sent off to boarding school in England and France because there weren't many schools near where we were. So every now and again, you'll see a little English accent popping out, and it's not just because I'm (laughs) imitating you; it's (laughs) because it was school as a kid. And then we moved to Nigeria to the international, the International Rice Research Institute, which was where I when I was twelve by then. So I packed a lot in my 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 first little years. But uh, I think when I look at it, one of the things I gained out of that was the space of my parents' choices meant that I saw a huge amount of the world really young. But I also saw how people, if they really believed in something, could get together with other people and actually truly over time make huge differences so it was a pretty amazing way of growing up
0: yeah exactly and when when we talk about like belief and when people get together they can do great things that kind of brings me a little bit more towards the work that you do today and yeah like the book that you've just had released
1: yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So Green Green Site, the sustainability guide for company directors, released in June 2022, which feels kind of kind of exciting. So what happened for me was I went to high school, went to university, and did business. And when I hit the business world, it didn't really want to talk about sustainability or any of these things. And even even the word ethics was considered an optional kind of idea. And I remember talking to my dad about this because this was the world I'd grown up in, and he's just going sent me a book that was from Harvard Business Review, second who honestly, Peter, you can't believe it, but it pretty much said ethics didn't have a place in business. It was just appalling. It was like the only rationale in business was how much money you can make. The impact that has on other people wasn't your problem. Yeah. And I, that just didn't make sense for me because I'd seen you make a decision here and then you have people starving over there. It, it, it has a consequence. Uh, you make a decision here, you have people fed over here. It was just like, <laughs> my brain didn't compute. But I was in the business world. So fast forward you know, a number of years, I end up running big businesses and still have this inkling in the back of the head that we could do an awful lot better in business. And so last year when COP26 came through. And it was the first time I'd say in my entire adult life, I'd seen business show up at the table with countries and saying, okay, we get it. We actually really need to do a lot differently. It wasn't just countries saying we need to do something about climate change and the way humanity is operating on the planet and the way we're using resources and wastage. Businesses and big businesses were there going, okay, we get it. We're in this one too. And so I looked at it and having had this interest from you know way way back but also having done some things with the alliance to end plastic waste and what they were trying to do in in addressing this realized that there are a couple of real challenges that business leaders face in this is that there's a lot of very good environmental research or social research but it's not necessarily written in a way that in business we can we can understand it's not written in our frame of reference so That was, you know, that was part of it. If we don't understand, it's super hard to do anything. And then the second area was talking with a group of senior executives going like, we know we need to do something, but we can't get our organization behind it. And my business work had been about business transformation, which was about going, okay, well, what's the goal we want to get to? How do we align the organization of people to take action in that direction? So I decided to you know, put my professional money where my mouth was and actually go and create something that would be useful for senior leaders so that they could A, get a common language, B, understand it. I mean, at one level, really fu- fundamental things, but without which you can't have a conversation and go, well, wait a second, what does this mean to our business? Where do we need to act? When people talk about ESG, you know, that's it's like this alphabet soup. There's so many different yeah. acronyms in there. It's overwhelming. What does the E mean? Okay. Ah, okay. So I'm thinking it means this, and then you're thinking it means that. So I identified eight different elements of environment that are regularly talked around in this space. Another set in the social, in the S, the social, and then another set in the governance one that are all part and parcel of the ESG thing. So that as a leader, you can look at it and go, oh, we're paying attention to that. Oh, actually, you know what? I hadn't realized that we're not paying attention or as much attention as we, we could to that. So that then you could sit down as a business leader and say, okay, is it right that I'm an observer and just sitting on the on the side and, and observing this? You know, or is this actually really a valid place for our business to be here and now? Are we making a pledge because we see changes that um, some of our stakeholders want? So are we making statements, but we're not really taking action to change our business model? No.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you know, one of the things that I took from your book that I really liked is just uh, the the statement that you say a problem cannot be solved until it's understood and sustainability is a definition is a defining challenge of our time it's very much a defining challenge the interesting point that I look at holistically Mm -hmm. is the fact how stakeholders are now taking the lead rather than just shareholders. So, you know, that brings into the logic about neoliberalism under the ideology of Milton Friedman and the mm. shift in paradigm, I would say, to more of a, a shareholder vested economy where everybody has a, has a central interest in the continuation of progression to allow some of the world's greatest challenges to be addressed. And one of the the key elements about your book is, is drawing down... The narratives that there are, there are plenty, and it's confusing a lot of people at this moment in time. But largely, like purpose and the ESGs that form within purpose and sustainability and climate change, a lot of these wider implications lie within the why: why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. The the what: what are you trying to achieve? And the okay. how: how are you going to actually action? and take ownership of some of these global challenges.
1: Yeah. And like at a, at a really pragmatic level, one of the things I realized was that you, know, you, you mentioned sort of you know, the, the, the Friedman and some of these other schools of economics. I mean, we've had a hundred year experiment with businesses saying, if we only optimize for one stakeholder, will it create enough value for everybody else? which was, you know, the premises of, you know, the rising tide theory. And, and what we're seeing is, well, it creates an awful lot of costs that other people are bearing. And the stakeholder, the shift from a, a shareholder only to a stakeholder-based capitalism is a re- reflection of other series of business that have been out there. And I think that's time. it's time has really come in because non-financial stakeholders are going, excuse me, like here, here's one here's one for you guys you know on the purpose type conversation like i find it a tough ask to say i'm d- d- providing you a product that's poisoning you and therefore you should pay me more because i stopped poisoning you actually this is like excuse me because <laughs> that's what people are in essence doing is saying oh well even if we're going to make it sustainable or not less environmentally damaging for this other environment over there or less polluting and impacting future generations, you, you've got to pay for it. So i like, okay, so in other words, we're paying you less so you can poison us. There's this there's, there's something on the purpose point about why are we doing things? And I think in business, if we go back to, you know, why are we doing it? Yes, it's to make a profit. I get that. have been in business a long time. It's also to do good. It's to provide service. And it's entirely possible to do it in a way that creates... Positive impact in far greater parts of of what we're doing than to externalise costs on other people, be it the environment or other generations.
0: Yeah, and I think it's the the cool thing about now is that largely global leaders are engaged, right? They're really interested in the fact that what could they do um, to help? How could they actually be part of the solution mm-hmm. rather than the problem? And whilst this isn't the case in every single global leader, the, 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 the vast majority are literally looking towards alleviating the world's global problems that we face at the moment. Mm. So looking at that, I'm, I'm looking at the likes of sustainability and readiness. What could business owners be doing at this point in time within their own businesses if they wanted to kind of understand their own form of green site?
1: There's two really concrete things they can do right, right away. The first one is to just make a decision. And the the decision is, are they going to commit to working out what it's going to take to, to do net zero or true zero regenerative, what I call going, you know, really going green. So that's the, you know, the net zero targets that are out there. True zero is taking it the next step further. It's saying we're not contributing any carbon. And then the regenerative is saying we're going to clean up the past. So we're going to clean out at the damage that we've done in the past. So it's hence the regenerative phrase. So it's making that making the choice to make that commitment. And it's quite that's a significant step because for a lot of business people, we're used to operating in a world where I need to know how I'm going to do it before I commit to it. And what's actually being asked is this one is commit and then work it out. So the holding back from the diving in pieces is, is a bit of a challenge. So the first one is just make the choice. I'm either going to be committing to one of these green elements or I'm accepting and acknowledging I'm going to continue my business operations as is, which by definition is going to be operating, contributing to a what I call the rusty red world, which is three, three to four degrees or potentially higher um, average which with all the, ne- the negative consequences that, you know, we may have say in 10 years or 20 or 30 years, you know, you're, you, you look like you're a touch younger than me, which means you've probably got a few more of those decades, but I look at my life and I've got, you know, four to five decades ahead of me. So I'm quite aware that decisions that are made now are going to be ones that I'm going to live with for 50 years. You know, that's, that's one, one big one. And let's, let's loop back to that that one because I, I want to just talk about the other action it's actually really looking at our businesses with genuine open eyes and going what world do I want a, this business to be creating <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know so I've got the pledge so and given that is this something that's going to have us you know is there a demand for us for my stakeholders so if you've got support from your stakeholders of course it's easier if your stakeholders don't care well then they need a different reason for doing it but you know what what stakeholders is it my customers is it my employees is it uh, my suppliers, is it because some, some some suppliers are refusing to supply to people now? Is it my financiers? Is it my investors? Is it my communities? You know, there's that whole stakeholder one around. There could be things there. And then secondly, looking at how the world could be, is it going like, how will my business model need to change? Exactly. And what I'm finding is quite a few organizations when they start looking at that and they go, well, you know what? There's a big shift on both accounts. Our stakeholders are asking a lot more and our business models are going to have to change significantly.
0: Yeah, and there's a multitude of different reasons that's forcing these pressure forces upon business. Um, you know, we've just, we're coming out of the back end of the COVID pandemic. We're seeing the the crisis in around like Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, without going into too much detail on that, there is a potential of global like issues in respect to the, the distribution of wheat that comes out of Ukraine. And also how that, if it's, you know, if there is a blockade, and a continued blockade, how down the line it will lead to starvation in, in, in Asia and in Africa and further afield, it will lead to like the likes of a, a, a global refugee crisis. There's there's a lot of wide implications about what's taking place at this current point in time. And I think the key point that I always say to, to business leaders at the moment is it's about we're in a period of education. You've got to be part of the conversation. You've got to be yeah. wide-eyed to what the global economy you know contains and and is is and is created from at this pres- present mm. point in time because the the old logic that we can kind of return to norm just doesn't make sense anymore because the world has over the last two years has dramatically changed. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of different forces. There's people be that investors be that external parties um, from a consumer base. A lot of people are demanding change and Mm. those companies that are failing to kind of step up to the mark are being kind of called out. And yeah, it's, it's kind of quite volatile really.
1: Well, it's, it's volatile in a whole bunch of ways. And something that I'm certainly seeing with the businesses that I'm working with is that this time last year, maybe 25, 35% of RFPs were asking for what people are doing around sustainability, some kind of indication of a position or a pledge. It's now up at 75%. I mean, that's in under a year. So there, you know, from a point of view of, you know, customers on the finance side, particularly in the business, you know, financial side, particularly in the business B2B world, this is showing up as a significant element already. The other one is, you know, for people that are, because I know not all of your audience is business, so forgive me, people who are listening with us right now, for some of the business jargon that's happening here. I, mean, I know each field has its has its its terms, but what is also happening is that at long last, the finance the finance industry, so insurance, banks, some of the big fund managers, are consciously looking at where their money is going, and some people will be listening and saying, "About time too." And you know, I hear you on this one. But what I can say is I'm seeing it actually happen, not just the talk, but the actual happening happening. And what that's showing up is already last year, it was a 2% difference in the cost of funds. It's now up to 4%. So, you know, if we're sitting there listening and thinking, going, well, you know, what's a 4% difference on my interest rate? That's what we're talking about it's a 4%, 4% differential interest rate that's showing up for people who don't have, have sustainability. So if you've got a less sustainable business model or business with these sorts of impacts that we've just been talking about, it could cost you four percent more for money. And you know that for anyone who's paying a mortgage, you know, like most of us as human beings, you know, that's a pretty hefty cost. And so there's real, there's real that practical financial value in taking action now. That cost difference is only going to get bigger.
0: Yeah, and I think there's all also a lot more transparency, right? And it's not just accountability; it's an awful lot more transparency. So we had um, circa five thousand on just the other day, and th- and their business model is an investment platform that is focused mm-hmm. on people and the planet, and they they just they're, they're literally trying to change the the landscape of investments um, yeah. to allow for. You know the investment in, in water, the investment in energy, um, and also allow for a conscious investor or or anybody that's keen to understand where their money mm. is actually going in respect to their, you know, their their savings, their in in some cases their pensions, etc. There's a lot more transparency. You can actually see mm. the percentages and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a really good platform. Mm. And I think also you've got a lot more Metrics and, and indicators as well. That's taken place. So mm-hmm. we had a little while ago, Strawberry Frog on, and they were talking about the Purpose Power Index. You've seen within the EU, they're they're talking about the changing of of reporting um, to allow for more transparency and mm-hmm. accountability and ownership in respect to businesses as well. Also, mm-hmm. same goes over in uh, in America with some of the changes that's taken place there. I think. Where we are now, it's it's not just a case of a call to action that's coming from the consumers. It's also a call to action that's coming from investors because people want to see a change world a lot quicker than kind of some of the, I'd say some of the deadlines that were placed down in COP, for example. If you look at what happened with Modi, it, mm. he extended his deadline by another 10 years. And yeah. and you, you touched upon it just a little bit mm. earlier. We're, we're trying to create the future that A, we want to retire into and B, that's going to be prosperous for future generations and and mm. sustainable for future generations.
1: Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's like the health we have now is a result of the decisions we made in the past. It is like a really so practical human level. And the the body and the planet that we'll have in a decade or two decades or three decades is going to be a consequence of our healthy lifestyle options now.
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. What would you say are like the key early decisions that business leaders could today, if they're, if they're wanting to make change today, if they're listening to this podcast and, mm-hmm. and interested in actually exploring it further, what would be kind of some of the, the quick wins per se based upon some of the knowledge from your book?
1: I think in some ways this is is going as like this is a this is a, the lifestyle change thing. So it's not necessarily starting off with a radical lifestyle change, but it is acknowledging there is going to be there is going to be some differences. So like the really practical starting place, you know, once you've got past the decision, so I'm going to work, work, assume on the basis that everybody who's still here with us is going yes, the net zero, true zero, regenerative, the green type way of is, is the way the way to go. Because when you're in that one, you're thinking and looking for different sorts of places and solutions that, than if you're trying to put lipstick on a pig, you know, or, or you know, or bandage something that's 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 in a bad space. So what I found is that in this thing, it can feel so overwhelming because there's so many different places that one could start. And the mere fact I'm aware that I've said, well, ESG can be broken into twenty-three plus subcategories and those categories are mounting and then you know, there's so what i did in the book was i broke it down into some practical ways where you can look at and go okay let's start on this so if we we say that you know maybe you're in a business where you go you know what we don't have access to change a lot of our our carbon footprint you know our biggest thing is our energy usage and the energy usage is some you know the energy is produced by the local power company and there's only so much we can do is go okay well that's true the two places that i invite people to look at is saying of the other parts that are about sustainability so things like uh, biodiversity land use nitrogen and phosphorus and there's some of these other elements that are in there you know are there things that we can take into action now Just because one area is something we don't do, our business is going to have an impact on other areas. So pick one, you know, pick something you know you can do something on and deliberately challenge yourself to do something on it this quarter, to make a material difference in it this quarter. Because what I found is that when we start saying it's a long way away, it's easy to put it off for tomorrow. But if we say, okay, I want to go and tackle what, we, what what our situation is this quarter and make a real change. And then you get, speak to the entire organization and go, okay, this is the thing that we're going to look at this quarter. What are we going to do? Are we going to look at how we're using plastic and generate plastic? Is it waste? Is it plastic? You know, pick one of these things. Because if each quarter you tackle something with real material vigor and you speak to other parts of your value chain, you know, your customers and your customers' customers, because sometimes your impact is what's happening further further away from you. You can make design decisions that can create an impact or sometimes it's what you've asked your suppliers to do and how you're asking them to do things that's creating an impact. So it's about moving, not just about our own organization and and what we're doing here. It's about looking broader into the value chain side of things. So those would be two really powerful things. It's actually shifting, deliberately going, what is one that I can focus on this 90 days and I'm going to take a material action on? Because you do something this ninety days, you do something next ninety days. You know you'll yeah. make progress. You make serious progress doing ninety day cycles. And secondly, how can we go and look further up our value chain and further down our value chain and see other opportunities to partner and make changes?
0: Yeah, it's it's about for for me. I've often talked about proactive versus reactive, but it's about pre- being proactive. What what causes do you stand for? What do you want mm. to remediate for, per se? whilst mm-hmm. others are often kind of torn into almost a reactive nature of mm-hmm. each daily change event that is almost some businesses are making a mistake by saying, oh, well, I need to respond to that. And then they invest time and effort to kind of respond to each like daily change and nuance. But ultimately, mm-hmm. if you start kind of small to grow big, if you if you figure out a, a specific thing that you want to focus on, mm-hmm. and that can be like the cause one, and then cause two comes about, and then cause three comes about. Yeah not only are you able to galvanize people internally to your, to your business because they're really passionate about what you're trying yeah. to achieve and why, you're able to better engage with a mm. very well adapted, wise, educated consumer base. And mm. in respect to that, it kind of brings me to the, the topic of profitability because so many businesses and leaders listen to podcasts like this and go, oh, well, it's really nice and whatever, but will I be able to turn a profit? And there's there's a huge evidence base behind that
1: if somebody listing it is a bit very very business here's two very business-minded practical facts assuming that the concept of saving four percent on your interest didn't, didn't catch you with attention is this one is if you knew your business was going to be put out of business in 18 months because you weren't able to do something sustainably would you make the change now some of the sustainability requirements are going to be regulatory and licensed to operate in the relatively near future so there's a certain amount of you know proactive preparation but let's be a little bit more cheerful because you know that one's sort of a little bit you know that's a little bit you know sticky you know <laughs> so let's, let's let's talk a little bit more clarity on this one so i i was involved in a call actually about six months ago and uh, the 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 wonderful gentleman who was leading it he asked a question of 36 of us in in the room he said okay so if you are standing outside a business or looking at a business online so this would pretty much cover you know all sorts of businesses and they were identical he used the economic word keteris paribus to really he was really geeking and it's like if they're absolutely identical same price same product absolutely everything same number of people using them they were identical but one organization actually had their impact and the, the good that they were doing in the world visible and the other didn't. So it c- could be doing nothing, could be doing something, but it wasn't visible. What, who would you buy from?
0: Everybody picks impact, right?
1: Absolutely. Everyone did. And this, this was a group that was just for anyone who's listening and going, they were warm, fuzzy people. They were warm, fuzzy accountants. <laughs> okay we're always the hardest
0: people to sell it
1: <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying so even, so if a, if a room full of accountants is making this call which is what exactly what happened you were spot on and in guessing in, in, in your intuition there this, this this is the reality so the the carrot here is identifying what you're doing show it and be, make it visible so that you your people realize it because often there's Many good things are already done in our business and we're we're not necessarily as aware of it. But also in doing that, you'll probably surface a bunch of other areas. You go, oh, gee, now we're looking at that. I had no idea. Or somebody who's down in shipping might be seeing a whole bunch of wastage coming in and packaging. That may be an opportunity for them to collaborate with the supplier to do something different about it. Because once you open the conversation up, and then that can start creating a virtuous cycle for impact. But being able to see and report your impact is huge.
0: Yeah, massively. And I think we'll only see more of it in respect to transparency, reporting and index and matrix and, you know, the Mm. comparables between nations. We saw quite recently, like, the work that South Korea have done recently in respect to their changing of recycled material. Like, it's, it's astronomical. I was watching something on the World Economic Forum and they've gone from being one of the least... Nations for recycling to one of the best in practice, best practice nations. So, it's it's huge changes that can take place. But I think also one of the key to this change that we're articulating, it's not just ownership from business. It's ownership from the individual. Right? You talked about the like finding opportunities within like shipping and packing, and individuals have to take ownership of suggesting um, to business and also changing their own individual practices and behaviour in ways that are going to enrich them going forward because I think one of the key challenges to where we are at this present point in time is how well attuned people are to the to the topic of change historically change has often been something that's been feared but it's been feared because of a lack of education around the possibility for what that change allows going forward so I think we have to also have People that are kind of keen to go on this developmental journey themselves, to educate themselves, to create a growth mindset, to kind of be the best versions of themselves, to galvanize and motivate others to do the same. And I think it's kind of has that knock on effect, right? When one person does it and they see the impact, then another person does it and they see the impact and it goes and goes and goes and goes. And before you know it, you're creating these like huge global communities of empowered people that are changing everything.
1: Yeah, I like I, I love the, Love it when we get into the space of talking about change because you know I, I I remember the days before we had these lovely devices. And for anyone who's not actually watching <laughs> Peter and I, which you won't be able to because you're on a podcast, but I'm holding up my mobile phone. And, I, and no one forced me to get a mobile phone. I got it because it helped me. And I bring this into the conversation because there's a lot of story about change being something we fear. But the, also the thing is, change is something when it suits us and adds to our life, we go for it. We, we, you know, we most of us picked up our, our, you know, mobile phones, except for my elderly uncle who is eighty nine, who just has gone. No, <laughs> <laughs> he goes. I've lived eighty nine years quite happily without it. I'm not taking it on. But it's a conscious choice in his case. That said, uh, he's actually has some. Is still wearing my grandfather's shirts so he's kind of sustainable <laughs> in another way so you know shout out to uncle robin but you know i I'm, I'm say this because when we like i when i go and look at little kids and i know you you've got you know an absolute adorable youngster in there then all fear change it's, it's just like the whole world's this exciting place and they dive in and so there's there's a bit i kind of bring this in just because if we look at some of this as going, well, maybe it gives us, all, gives us more benefits. And if I look at it like the way a mobile phone brought something into my life, or I approach it with the inquiring spirit of a two-year-old, I might be, find it easier to step into doing something that's a bit different because a two-year-old would be quite happy to, you know, and they grow up and look at us here and now, big two-year-olds.
0: Okay, exactly but if if it's technology right because it advances at, at such a pace far ahead of like human advancement naturally so mm-hmm. i think the fact is technology is also pushing where we're going to go and and why and i think there's not too much resistance i think even when when we speak to like the stakeholders and companies etc that we work with mm-hmm. the engagement the interest is definitely there i think what what a lot of companies struggle on is the activation piece, the how. So I think when they were to look at books like yours, for example, there's a lot of like key knowledge and insight in there that would allow them to understand the how a little bit more in respect to their own businesses and practices. Because you know we mentioned it earlier on, like a problem cannot be solved in, until it's understood. And I think mm. that the 10-year problem, or the even further afield, like the tenure, mm. the ten and twenty year question. Like, what does that world look like, and what can we be doing now to make sure that that world is something that isn't a world of chaos, but it's a world of opportunity?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, something that I come back to me when I'm sort of doing this, and helps me keep a frame of reference, is I look at this and I go, okay, so like right now, it's it's eight years till 2030, and eight years can seem like a long time, but I but I remind myself. When I, went to, when I decided to go to university, I knew that I'd had to do a four-year degree. If I did economics and law, it was going to be five years. And then I'd probably have to do two foundation years before I was really anywhere. So I was signing up to a, a seven-year program. <laughs> and, and we do, you know, when we're, t- when we're going to university, we are in essence signing up, for, you know, for a, a, a seven-year life program to get somewhere. And we do it and we're fine doing it. And the and the outcome of that kind of commitment is quite quite substantial. So I look at the remind myself that if we look at what we're doing now and saying if we set a goal, say by 2030, this is this is this is the goal, and going, okay, so this year, if we if if we maybe we haven't done a whole lot, we go, okay, so this year is the equivalent of my freshman year at university, where I'm going to be learning a whole bunch of new stuff. We're going to be getting foundation tools, we're going to be finding the other people we want to play and do things with because no one makes this sustainability journey on their own. And then you find, oh, wait a second, you're doing that, and it's really good. Oh, my, you mean you've solved that problem? And I can learn from that. You know the way we split stuff up at uni? I mean, yeah. it's, 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 and if we treat, if we treat it with the same lightness of spirit, but the same discipline we have that got us through you know that seven-year journey. Each year, we're changing the trajectory, and which is why, when earlier on, I said to do the ninety-day ones, because if we take that year and then we break it down into semesters, and then that's into you know the equivalent of like four sets of ninety days, just to use the business ones. It's 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 manageable chunks to go. Well, this is what we're going to get cracked this time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because you know, I think we can change the trajectory of where we're going. You mentioned earlier about like the um, reductions in temperatures like we can change that now but yeah it's about it's about actually planning and figuring out the achievable chunks in the like I often talk about 30 60 and 90 days what can you what would mm-hmm. you do now and like prioritize it and how can you like put that into action and what you're going to focus on and how you're going to like ultimately turn around and assess the success of up to particular implementation i think where the solutions lie is within in my opinion, and I'd like to get your take on this, I, I think like the solutions lie within business and it lies, lies within people and community. I, I, I struggle to believe that it's going. some of the problems that we face now are going to be um, solved by government. And that is not necessarily about uh, a critique on what the government are like at the moment globally and, and how they vary. I think it's more so in respect to how they act. So they're quite, you know, their focus is on the short term they're on, and it's on re-election. It's on the, you know, the various different election cycles. And I think those like small four-year windows and especially where we are today with respect to global turbulence, I think the ownership is and probably the the leading lights are going to be organizations globally and also people rather and people and community rather than kind of government but what is your view do you think it's a business case or do you think it's more something that the government are going to solve or do you think it's more of a partnership approach between the two
1: well i think it's partnership between the three because either you know we as we, we as human beings we as human beings starting off because we as human beings we show up as consumers we show up as social society we show up as how we vote or you know where we demonstrate we show up as what we buy and what we do in our jobs be it in government or in or or in a business or in some other role you know it's it's who we show up as as people and so the government can government can only act because we the people you know, in a, in a democratic frame which is where we're both based and business will act a lot faster when we the people are, are in doing this one because we the people are the person who's walking in and we're the chairman of the board but the the cool thing is, I think now the, the, the to, the, to the me the big shift that's happened in the last eighteen months, which I'm really really excited by, is that business is now for, firmly seeing itself at the table, and it's not it's not a single outlier business here, or somebody that's particularly values driven as a as a distinct thing there. It's becoming more becoming part of the collective meme of this is how we do business.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it's you're getting a lot of diverse viewpoints. So with that, you're getting a lot of um, new skills and knowledge and, and insight and innovation as well. So, yeah, I, like I'm, I know when we kind of dive into these, like I, I kind of quite focus on the detail, but largely when you look holistically at where we where we're going and, and the future ahead of us, like it is actually an amazing place to be. Like I can I can see where we're going because I can see it, the changes that we're making now are going to be for the for the positive of people, like 10, 20, 30 years down the line, naturally, Mm -hmm. there's going to be some turbulence. Naturally, you're going to get a little bit of ups and downs in periods of change. But that's always been the case. You know, crisis is the catalyst for change. Like it's Mm -hmm. so where we are now is um, people have taken that moment of reflection during the pandemic. Their businesses are kind of starting up and running again. We're we're looking at the global economy in new ways. Mm We're looking at potential paradigm shifts to new, to new forms of ideologies mm. and economic stances. There's, yeah, the the future is is going to be amazing. It's just a case of the more people that can be part of the conversation, and the more people that can kind of take those like moments, those stands, what they stand for, what causes they stand for and believe in, and actually go towards action and concentrate on the how. I think, yeah that's how we're going to actually see the speed of progression to the place we need to be. Cause yeah, that's, that's what it's about at the end of the yeah. day how quickly we can get there rather than it's, you know, what it looks like, because it's very evident what it looks like. It's a, it's about the speed yeah. of getting there.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not about why it's not about what now it's about movement. The doing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay, we know the mountain. We know what it looks like. <laughs> now we actually have to go and
0: do it. Yeah.
1: Do the walking. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I love talking to you. So I could talk to you for the rest of the day. But I, I just wanted mm-hmm. to finish out by asking you kind of if you would like to leave a key takeaway, uh, you know, something you'd like to, to say to our audience, what would it be? And why?
1: Okay, so earlier in this, I spoke about the idea of, you know, are we committing to being a green business, the decisions that way? Or are we just going to stay with status quo and kind of like, you know, stay rusty red? Um, world and what I what I realize when I'm working with leadership teams and boards it, it, I take them to the point where it's this realization that every business decision we make and actually you could say also every life decision if you want to take it out of the business world we make is either one that's going to be contributing to green or it's rusty red and so my final message would be the, is just this take that moment whenever you're making a decision is to go is this decision one that's to go green or go red go rusty red and then pick the future you'd really prefer to take the action in that direction
0: i love that thank you so much that's an absolute great analogy i'll be using that going forward <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much and have, have a great rest of the day thank
1: you for listening to the purpose made podcast don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about PurposeMade, or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode.